also says that he thinks I might have a virus, so I'm not going to shake hands tonight with anybody. I pray that you would forgive me for that, but I don't want to give it to anybody if I do have a virus. So, anyways, I'm not in pain now. I'm doing good. And God is good all the time. All and all the time, time God yeah. is good. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and open the word to Matthew chapter 16. If you would, take the Bible and turn there with me tonight for a few moments. I'm not sure exactly how long I'll be preaching, but it's something that the Lord put in my heart. Mark Matthew 16, beginning with verse number 13. While you're turning there, I'll go ahead and give you the title of the message. It's called, Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? And then once you find it, if you would stand, as we honor God after the name of the Lord. Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. We ask, God, that you would help us to see you for who you really are, the Son of the living God. We praise you and we thank you that you are the Messiah that we have long waited on, that there's no more waiting, that you've already came, you died on the cross for our sins, and that you went to heaven and are sitting there at the right hand of God the Father, waiting for him to tell you to go and get your bride. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that we are that bride tonight, without spot or blemish. And we thank you, dear God, that we have eternal life, and then through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we thank you for all of these things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said... Amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Who did you say? Uh, no, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? You know, there's a lot of people that might acknowledge Jesus as being a really good man. In other words, morally, he's pretty good. But they don't see him as the son of the living God. They don't see him as the Messiah. And then there's others who see him as a good teacher, a good preacher, even has the power to heal people's bodies of sickness and disease. But they still, so you could say they see him as a physician, but they still don't look upon him as the son of the living God, the Messiah. And what we need to understand tonight is this. If we don't see Jesus in that way as the Son of God, the Son of the Living God, the Messiah, then we're not going to go to heaven. At least not when the rapture happens. Because we we have to have our faith and trust in Jesus as who he says he is. And he says, I am Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of the Living God. In other words, we've got to see him as for who he really is. and if, Because if we're going to portray him to the world of darkness, 
that we live in, we have to see him as the bread of life. We have to see him as the light of the world. We have to see him as who he claims himself to be. Now, if you, some people might see him as nothing more than a lunatic. Well, that's their problem, not mine. I don't see him like that. I see him as the son of the living God. And I pray that you do as well. We're going to find out somebody else who saw him as that in just a moment. But I wanted to drive these first few verses home into our hearts. I wanted us to, to get what was being said by Jesus to his disciples that day. He was wanting to find out who other people saw him as. And then he gets a little more personal with it, though. And he says, but who do you say I am? In other words, if they were going to follow after this guy for three and a half years and live, and live with him all that while, they see, you have to understand something. Back in that day, the disciples would follow after the teacher that they were following. In other words, they hung out with him, they ate with him, they slept with him, they, they did everything that there was to do, in other words. And that's what we've got to get to. We have to get to an intimate place with Jesus Christ this evening. We have to get to the place where we claim what Peter's about to claim. But before I get into that, I want you to understand something here. I want you to understand that in verse number 18, well, no, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. I, at least I am. I want us to understand, it says, it's in verse 16, Simon Peter answered. In other words, he spoke for the whole group. That was what one of his main giftings was, being a spokesperson. So he was speaking for the entire discipleship group, all the apostles at this time. He was speaking for all of them, and he said, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. And we've got to understand what that means tonight, folks. You see, when, G when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden and sinned, then we had to, God had to come up with another way of bringing us back into right relationship with him. And the way he did that, decided to do that, was by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for yours and my sins. I don't know about you. I love people, but I don't think I could give my daughter as a sacrifice for them, even if it would save their soul. I, I don't see myself doing that. That's not something that's in my DNA. I, I'm not, I don't love people that much. But God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so to here tonight, what I'm saying is, is that who do you see Jesus as being to you in your life? Do you see him as the son of the living God? Yes. Because if you do, then you're going to want to do what pleases him. You're going to want to live your life just like Jesus himself lived his when he was on the face of the face of this earth to do so. When he lived his life, he did it out of with purity, 
holiness, righteousness, grace, mercy, peace, comfort. The list goes on and on. In other words, we are to be just like Jesus in every way. And so what and he was a loving person. We're to be loving people. He was a forgiving person. We're to be forgiving people. That's why in, G, in the model's prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, we have to understand that if we don't forgive other people their sin against us, God's not going to forgive our sins against him. That's what it goes on to say in that model prayer. If you look it up, I think it's in, I'm not sure, but we can get together after the service and talk about it if you want to. But what I'm trying to get at is this, is that we have to see him as the son of the living God. We have to see him as our redeemer. You see, we've been blood-bought, folks. We're blood-bought. It wasn't with gold or silver. It wasn't with cash. It wasn't with debit cards or credit cards or anything else. He bought us with his own precious blood. And it was his blood that covers our sins and keeps the Lord God Almighty from being able to see those sins anymore. So when the devil comes to God and tries to convince him that we're unworthy to be his children because we did this or we did that or we did this over here, he, he looks at the Lord and he tells him all those things about us and they may very well be true. But you know what? God doesn't see those things anymore. Once we come to him and make him the Lord and Savior of our life, he covers our sins through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We've got to understand that tonight, folks. We've got to see Jesus in a, in a majestic role as well as a friendship role. We talked a little bit about God being our friend this morning. And he is. But he's also our king. We are his servants. We, we are to obey his commands, whatever they may be. Things that we may not want to do. But yet, the Bible teaches us, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. And so we need to see that tonight in these scriptures. We're looking, that we're looking at, folks. We need to see that Peter was the one who stands up and speaks for the whole group and says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then in verse number 17, it says, Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Think about that for a minute, folks. Things that we learn about God has been by the Holy Spirit, has been by the leading of the Lord God Almighty, has been through his, his anointed servants. In other words, 
I pray that in the time I've been here with y'all, and the time that you've heard me preach, that I've said something, at least one thing, at least if nothing else, that might have caught your attention and said, hey, I didn't know that about God. And something, all of a sudden, a light bulb just clicks off over your head. Clicks on, I mean, over your head. And it's like, shows you something new. God's done that to me on a couple of different occasions. I was born and bred and raised Baptist. And I was taught once saved, always saved. And I was taught that we didn't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit today, that that wasn't for us. Well, for many, many years, I was taught that, and it was ingrained into my brain. And I, I couldn't shake it for the longest. But then while I was out at Southwest Assemblies of God Bible College, it's like all of a sudden, my blinders got removed. One time it was because I went to my mom and dad's church. Another time was because me and this other guy at the Bible college was having a point of disagreement. In other words, when I was talking with the guy at the college, it was about the once saved, always saved doctrine. And I kept saying, yeah, you cannot lose your salvation. I used the same scriptures that other Baptists used to refute that possibility. Like, for instance, that as long as you're in the hand of God, no one can pluck you out. And then there's that one in Hebrews, I think it is, where it talks about if I have actually fallen away from the Lord, there's no way to, for me to come back again because I can't crucify Christ again, and that's true. But if you do a more in-depth study on those scriptures, you, you see the light that is truly being presented to you. You, you hear and you understand through the power and the anointing and the influence of the Holy Spirit teaching you what those verses actually mean. Same thing with the one about putting in God, being in God's hand and no one can pluck you out. You, that's a true statement to this extent. You still have a free will. You still have free choice. So I can actually take myself out, pluck myself out, of God's hand if I so choose to do so. God's not going to override my free will. He's not going to take it away from me. And I've got to understand that tonight, folks. And when I was at that Bible college talking with that brother in the lobby with other people around us, we began to talk about it and I kept saying, no, no you cannot lose your salvation. He kept saying, yes, you can Finally, he uttered out these words. He said, you sound like you're Baptist. And I said, I am. He said, what are you doing here then? And I said, this is where God's told me to go to get my training for my pastor. So, anyways, that night I went to bed and I laid there for at least two or three hours, tossing and turning, tossing and turning, because this one thought kept going through my mind that whole time. Can you or can't you? Can you or can't you lose your salvation right here? Finally, I, I remember to this day, just like it happened yesterday, I looked, I opened my eyes, I looked at the ceiling, and I said, okay, God, you tell me what the truth is. And I even pointed my finger up that way. Anyway, he said, okay, get up and get your Bible. Well, that night, I did that. And the night, that night, Instead of me having to turn to all these different words in the concordance to find those verses, 
he started speaking to me, all of a sudden, I, God began saying, this is where this is at. This is where this is at. I would turn to those scriptures and those verses, and guess what? God was right, every one of them. There was three or four places that he showed me in scripture. The Bible says two or more witnesses will tell you to make the truth. Well, with God, he gave me, it was either three or four scripture passages, all dealing with that same issue, and I looked them all up, and I, and it's like a light bulb just went off over my head. Uh, I mean, it, it turned on, actually. And it's like, all of a sudden, it became clear to me that you can lose your salvation. And so, anyway, as soon as I come to that realization, it's like the Lord spoke to me by the Spirit and said, Now, you cannot preach once saved, always be saved anymore, can you? said, you're right, Lord. Well, a few months later on, I my parents had been after me to come to their and my sister's church for the longest time. And I kept on saying, no, 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 no. And anyways, I finally said, okay, because they were Pentecostal at this time. So I decided to get them off my back, I'd go. So I went ahead and went to church that night with them. And then all of a sudden, the pastor turns out, she ends up preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I sat there and I had my arms folded like this, listening to the word that was spoken, thinking, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then wondering when it was going to get over with. And then all of a sudden, the pastor finished and said, Now, whoever wants to come and get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, come on up, up here. Well, I had been taught that it, it was only for the purpose of having let the disciples and people know that the Spirit of God had come. So I decided that I was not going to go up there because I didn't believe in it. I was told that, and I believed that for so many years. And then it's like a nudge of the Spirit into my ribs saying, go up and get it. And I said, but I don't believe in it. He said, yes, you did, do. Go up and get it. I said, but it's not for us today. Yes, it is. Go up and get it. I got up out of the chair, walked up to the pastor. She laid her hand against my forehead. She didn't push me down or nothing, no more than, you know. She just laid her hand against my forehead and prayed that prayer. I think it was as simple as let him receive the Holy Spirit or something. Anyway, all of a sudden, I fall backward, and I'm caught by some guys that's back behind me, and they lay me on down to the floor, and I began within five minutes. I began praying in my heavenly prayer language. And then I knew that it was for real. And that's what I'm saying to us tonight, folks, is that we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to be the one to give us the truth about things concerning heavenly things. Because a natural mind cannot understand those things. It's foolishness to us. But whenever the Spirit lights that light bulb on over your head, and it's like all of a sudden, you understand what you didn't understand before. You saw what you didn't see before. And like I said, and, and so whenever that came to the, to the realization of those two things, I knew I couldn't preach to the Baptist anymore. I was actually licensed to preach to the Baptist denominations when I started going to Southwest Assemblies of God Bible College. And Anyways, I get out there and I find out about those two main doctrines and then all of a sudden it's, 
it's like, I, okay, I need to find some way of changing over to the assembly. So I go up to one of my Bible college professors the next day after the baptism of the Holy Spirit incident. And I said, okay, how do I get papers with the assemblies? And he said, well, he said, first of all, you have to give back the papers you got from the Baptist church. And I said, I can't. They disbanded after the license. So he said, well, just stick them in your drawer. Don't ever use them again, which is what I've done all these years. Anyway, and then he said, and now you've got to find, get up in touch with the district, the section council of this section and talk with them. And you've got to talk with the uh, district, district members as well. And you can start working at getting your credentials with us. So that's what I did. And I am now, since 1996, I've been ordained with the Assemblies of God denomination. But you know what? It's like I heard somebody say last night, I think, or it might have been a Monday night, when at the, at the uh, not night, but Monday afternoon at the uh, sectional fellowship meeting. He said that... Uh, Oh, I was going somewhere with this, and now I lost my train of thought. But anyways, my point of, about everything is this, is that we got to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us whatever needs to be revealed. Because he's never going to tell you a lie. Now, people coming at your door, knocking on the door from either Latter-day Saints or Jehovah's Witnesses, they're going to lie to you. They're going to have just enough truth connected to it all to make it sound like you're talking about the same thing, but you're not. So you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to give you that ability to, to discern what's being said and what's being taught by these guys. Because if you're not careful, you'll believe, hook, line, and sinker, what they're trying to sell you. But you know what? I always go to the Word. And if they, what they say to me doesn't line up with the Word, it's not even in my, my thought pattern. I don't think about it anymore. Some people say, well, just stick it on the back burner. No, if you know that the Word of God refutes it, just get rid of it altogether right then, right there. Don't even concentrate on thinking about it anymore. Because the Holy Spirit will show you the truth. Jesus told his disciples, he said, I'm going away and I'm sending back the Comforter. I'm sending back the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be the one that guides you into all truth. So tonight, without a shadow of a doubt, I know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. There's no question in my mind about that. Time and time again, as I have read scriptures, both old and new, they show me how I can identify Jesus as being the real thing. In other words, he's the, the true Messiah. And so that's what we need to do is understand that. And then it goes on to say in verse number 17, Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon and John, because my Father in heaven was revealed this, has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from human beings. None, no human being. You didn't learn it from them. It says in verse 18, Now I say to you, that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell 
will not conquer. I have sat, a, a not note in my Bible here that I wanted to read to you. It's about that verse 18. All the powers of hell will not conquer. Hades is the Greek name for hell. The place of departed spirits where they're dead. It is the general name for the preliminary place of punishment for the unrighteous prior to final judgment. In this passage, the powers of hell may mean the powers of death. In a broader sense, it likely refers to Satan and all the forces of evil in the world opposed to Christ and his kingdom. This passage is not meant, now listen to this, this passage is not meant to describe the church in a defensive posture as if the church is simply holding up under attack. The devil is going to attack you every day of your life as you're born again in Christ Jesus. He's going to just come after you with everything he's got, everything in his arsenal, good, bad, and indifferent. He's coming after you because he because he knows he lost you. He, you were his before you were God's. In other words, you were a child of sin before you became a child of righteousness. And so what we need to understand tonight about this is this folks that Jesus wasn't saying I'm going to build my church upon Peter a, a mere human being that's not what he's saying he's saying that he's building his, his church upon himself you know uh, like I said this says that this passage is not meant to describe the church in a defensive posture as if the church is simply holding up under attack when the devil comes against me I do need to defend myself, yes. And I need to do that by putting on the whole armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, girding my loins with the belt of truth, putting on the, the shoes of, of, of the, the preparation of the gospel of peace, putting, using the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and using a shield of faith to deflect and to, to destroy the fiery darts of hell that the wicked one is sending out against you. I've got to put on that whole armor and use that one offensive weapon that God gives me to use against the devil. That's what Jesus did. He used that one thing, and that was the word of God. He spoke the word of God, and he defeated the devil every time he tempted him. And that's what I'm trying to get across to us tonight is this, is that we are not just to be in a defensive mode. There was, there was somebody who I heard once say this. He said, the best defense is a, a good offense. In other words, I've got to keep the devil on the run. I've got to, I've got to bombard the devil's kingdom with my prayers, with the word of God, with, with purity and holiness and righteousness, with all those things that God has for me to use against the kingdom of darkness. Whenever I pray, I need to pray believing that God's going to do what I'm asking him to do. That's why we pray over prayer requests every time we gather in the name of Jesus. Did you know that, folks? It's because we want to see people healed of sickness and disease. We want to see them miraculously touched and made well. We want to see them come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and come into the kingdom of God. Because when they do, the Bible says that every angel in heaven rejoices when the one person comes to God, whether it's through 
the first time of coming or whether it's a second chance record, uh, reaffirming themselves to the Lord, whichever it might be. We need to understand today, folks, that we are to be on the offensive here. Because if we keep the devil busy trying to defend against us, then he's not going to have time to be striking against us necessarily. But even if he does find that time, even if he does find that opportunity to come against me, my best defense is my offense. In other words, I take it. I take the battle to him. We fight. We fight on his play, on his terms in his playground. In other words, I'm I'm attacking the kingdom of darkness, the the way of darkness. I'm coming after it with everything I know to come after it with, and and with God on my side. And see, that's the thing, folks. The Bible says. If God be for us, who can be against us? In other words, the devil can't beat me if I'm throwing all the punches. Does that make any sense to anybody? Whenever there was a fight, there's been fights in the past in the, in the ring of sportsmanship. In other words, Ali against Frazier and Frazier against Foreman and all those got good boxers and stuff of the day that they lived in. Anyways, my point being is this, is that they're busy trying to defend themselves by throwing their own punches first against the, their opponent. And that's what God's looking for me and you to do, is we're to get in the ring with the devil, and we are to fight it out with the devil. And we are to, and we're never to turn our back on the devil. That, that's when you read those parts of the, of the armor of God in Ephesians 6, you're going to find one thing missing. And that's a piece of armor that covers your back. And the reason why is because you're never supposed to be retreating. You're never supposed to be turning your back and going the other direction from the devil. You're always supposed to be uh, either standing your guard, standing your ground, or moving forward. One of the two. But you don't back up, you don't back down, and you don't give up. Do I make any sense tonight? I hope I do. We need to understand tonight, that as we begin to see Jesus for who he really is, he's going to take the stance of being with us and not against us. And whenever he's for us, we don't have to worry about the outcome of the battle. There's a, a skit I saw one time in a boxing ring, not a real boxing ring, it was made for the purpose of the skit. Anyway, they had it all roped off and everything. And guess, get this. They had different people playing different parts of, of dead people. In other words, I was supposed to be Adolf Hitler. So I had to shorten my mustache to about like that just for a few days to play that part. And then there was also other guys playing their parts. There were some other guys and girls playing the other parts of the righteous, in other words, the ones that were believing in the Lord that died. And so we were all there standing and cheering for our, our gladiator, so to speak. We're all crying out for our guy to be the winner and everything. All of a sudden, <clears throat> Jesus gets knocked down. And it don't look like he's going to get back up. Anyway, he's down for the count. And the referee begins to make the countdown. Ten. Nine, eight, seven. And as he does so, Jesus just, the representative of Jesus, just 
just keep swinging. And all of a sudden, all the bad guys, which I was one of course, were all cheering and shouting and raising the roof saying, Yay, our guy won! But then, and Satan, of course, is acting a fool. He's got his hands over his head going like this and everything. Anyways, he's, uh, he's getting ready for the one and zero to be counted. And all of a sudden, when it got to about three, Jesus gets to his feet. And then the devil was really in for it. The devil didn't expect him to get up from the beating that he just had given him. But he got up and he punches him some, sometimes and knocks him completely out of the ring. And then gets counted out and Jesus, of course, wins. The point being to the story or the skit that's being portrayed is this, that Jesus did die, but he rose again. In other words, it's his resurrection that defeated the devil. And so we need to understand that tonight as well. The, the battle's already been won. It's already been fought. Even though it may not have actually taken place yet, it has actually been fought. And we need to be thankful for the fact that I'm on the winning side. And you're on the winning side. We're, we're serving a risen Savior. An all-powerful Savior. You know, that was one of the things I forgot to mention this morning in my sermon about the church and its mission is, is that Jesus was, I mean, God sent Jesus into the world for the purpose of showing us God's ways and the way he wants us to be living our lives. And he also wants us to show, wants to show us that we are more powerful than anything that the devil has. Anything that the devil would ever dream up against us. God wants us to understand that we are victorious through and in him. And that's what we need to do tonight, brothers. We need to understand that we need to see Jesus for who he really is. Because he really is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it is a true fact that the devil of hell will not be, I mean, the demons of hell and hell itself and the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. The passage that we've just read, it says, the passage describes the church on the offense, actively coming against the powers of Satan's kingdom. Satan's area of control will not be able to hold back or, sit or stand against the church as it reclaims territory, meaning, meaning human lives. For God in rescuing people from the power of death. In the end, nothing can stop the power of Christ's church from accomplishing God's purposes on earth. In other words, when we really understand and believe with all of our